Well, beloved, it's time for you to hear the word of the Lord. Amen. If you can, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be reading this morning 14 to 16. Actually, we're going to be reading verses 7 to 16. So when you have that, please stand for reading of God's word. Hear ye this morning the word of the Lord. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. Magnificent God of love, we do approach you this morning asking that you would give us insight into your word. Again, prepare our hearts, make straight that path, the way of the Lord, so that we may be able to see and comprehend what is the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of your love for us, and what you've called us as your people, as your children to do, to walk in a manner worthy of love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, today's text and the main text are going to be verses 14 through 16. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul starts these words this way. He says, so that we may no longer be children. So that. Paul is laying for us an imperative. The imperative stemming from what he had just spoken of in the previous text, starting in verse 12, where he says to equip the saints, after he gave the church prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, as a result of this, of this command, of what God has qualified you in by means of giving you gifts, gifts to men, gifts to the church, he says, now you no longer have to be children, but instead you ought to be walking in maturity, in godliness, 
growing in your sanctification, growing in your Christianity, growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, there is a protection. You see, leading up to this sobering statement, Paul's appeal to the Ephesian church is to maintain the unity of the faith by means of the Spirit. Paul is is calling Christians everywhere to be united. As we spoke about this last week, we live in a world that is not united. And if it is united, it is united only in one front. And that is in its opposition toward God, His gospel, and His people. Because the world is indeed hostile towards the things of God. There was a, uh, a video that went viral, viral this week of this woman, uh, a news uh, YouTuber, who, who, after the Roe v. Wade decision was made, was incensed that this was pushed by what she called the far right, by people who adhere to Christianity. And her words were something along these lines. She says, I don't care about your Christianity. I don't care about your Bible. I don't care about your Jesus. As if she and they ever did. And we're supposed to back off from our biblical stance to not contend for the culture, to not see King Jesus reign. Well, friends, the world never cared about Jesus, never cared about the Bible, and that is evident even all the more now. Now, ours, our goal isn't to force legislation down people's throat to be a moral people. Our job is to preach the gospel so that a people can be moral. We don't do so by force. We don't do so by, by legislation. We do so by proclaiming the gospel. You see, the gospel is not like a piece of legislation that once it's passed, it has little or no effect upon the people and their hearts. Rather, ours is a message that speaks truly to the heart, that changes people inside and out. Therefore, propelling us and compelling us to live out authentically that which we confess and that which we hold dear. And so Paul's appeal to the Ephesian church is to maintain unity in the face of adversity. And friends, we see this today and even ever more so clearly now that as Christians, we ought to be united in the face of great adversity from the world and from the powers and principalities that be. Again, his, the, the emphasis on this is the maintaining. Paul wants us to maintain, which means that there's an effort, there's a work, there's a participation that we have in that. Which is why, starting in verse 11, Paul lays out the gifts that he gave to the church so that she may maintain herself in the building up of the faith. So that she may have what is necessary, what is needed for the work ahead. And he gives us these truths by also giving us a warning that we see in verse 14. Again, the imperative is so that we may no longer be children, but instead we ought to walk in the fullness, stature, maturity. You see, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, the Bible says that they are born again, that the old has passed, behold, the new has come. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. 
But what also happens at that moment when a person gives their lives over to Christ and comes under the proper lordship of Jesus Christ, they're essentially a newborn babe. They're a babe, a child, a baby. And the Bible says in, in, in the book of Peter that we are to, to give these individuals pure spiritual milk from heaven, the milk of God's word. But not solely so they may have milk forever, but inevitably that they may grow through the the milk of God's word and then begin to receive meat, meat in due season. Spiritual milk being the things that are easily comprehensible in the scriptures. Who God is, the gospel, the good news, faith, repentance, baptism, all these things. Milk. And yet, we are to grow into maturity Not to stay on the milk of God's word, but to go deeper into the fullness of God's word for us. And in one way in which we can grow in our faith and grow in our walk with Jesus is by maintaining the unity of the faith. The unity of the local body, the unity of the body at large. But again, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a key here to understanding what it is that Paul wants us to comprehend in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. Notice the language he uses now. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning. If you're following along in today's insert, I want you to write this in. Spiritual immaturity can carry us into false doctrine. By human cunning and deceit. You can write in the words doctrine and deceit. You see, there is something that Paul is warning us against in its spiritual immaturity. What does spiritual immaturity look like? Well, spiritual maturity, according to the language that Paul uses, is like a ship with no sail. A ship with no anchor. And it's just a ship that is being tossed to and fro, by every wind, by every wave, by every doctrine of man that carries us aimlessly without direction and without purpose. A couple years ago, there was a story of a young man in a a small shipping boat who, um, during a storm, got cut off from his fleet and his ship was just being tossed to and fro for about nine months, surviving on rainwater and catching fishes. And he, was, he had no power, no direction. There's nothing he can do to change the direction of his vessel. And therefore, he was like one who was just tossed to and fro without any support, without anyone to help him, without anyone to walk with him. And that is what it looks like when we are spiritually immature when we fall for every wind of doctrine, every wind that comes and blows our way, and one easy way people get carried away by false doctrine and a sign of spiritual immaturity is people that have already accepted the false doctrine and premise of what is often called the lone Christian. You've heard of that before? The lone Christian? The Christian who doesn't need to be anchored in a local church. The Christian who thinks it's just, oh, it's just me and Jesus. 
And the lone Christian that says, well, I don't need to go to church because, uh, you know, whenever I'm at home, that's church for me. I just put on the radio, listen to some Hillsong music, and, and that's church. And that's church. You know, there was a missionary who was asking a pastor for funds. This missionary was sharing all the phenomenal things that he was doing abroad and, and, and trying to, you know, drum up support. And the pastor asked this missionary, he says, uh, well, these things sound really fantastic and really great, but, but, but what church do you belong to? And the missionary said, what church do I belong to? Well, I belong to the, the universal, invisible church. And the pastor said, okay, well, but, but where do you go weekly? Like, where, where, do, you, where do you meet? Are you, are you a member of a church? And the missionary, again, said, kind of incest and said, uh, I don't think you understand. I'm part of the, of the invisible church of Christ. Uh, I don't need to go to a local church. And the pastor responded, well, well, all these things sound really wonderful, what you're doing. So let me give you some invisible money for your invisible church. And you can continue doing your invisible work. Because the invisible church is not an excuse for missing out on the blessing and the unity of the local church. Amen? We need each other. And that's what Paul's trying to get at in Ephesians chapter 4. The unity of the spirit, the unity of the body is built within the local church. We need each other. The lone Christian is, is not a sufficient cause for us to maintain the unity of the faith that Paul admonishes us to do. Therefore, in order to maintain unity, we need to remain in the body of Christ. Doing so is a bulwark against false teachers and false teaching. As you receive instruction from spiritually matured elders who have kept the historic and biblical faith. If you can, please turn to Acts chapter 20, keeping a finger in Ephesians in our main text. But if you can, turn to... Acts chapter 20. And notice what the Word of God gives us here as Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, the elders to whom he is now writing in the book of Ephesians. But notice what he says in Ephesians, I mean, Acts chapter 20. And let's look at verse 28 through 30. And Paul said this to the very church he writes to in Ephesus. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul gives a strong admonition to the church in Ephesus, both verbally and written through the book of Ephesians. And what he's reminding them, what he is admonishing them with, is to pay careful attention to the work, to the flock. Beloved, do you not know how much you are worth in the eyes of Christ? Do you not know that you are indeed in Christ, his beloved, his children, his sheep. Just Pastor Colleen and I earlier today when we were preparing for service, we prayed and we prayed. He said, God, what an honor it is to feed your sheep this morning. Because as your pastors, we love you. We care for you. And we, it's not missed upon us the fact that 
This is such a grand privilege to be shepherds, under shepherds of Christ and shepherds to you. And it is our aim to protect you, to protect you from the wolves of this world who may come speaking twisted things to draw away disciples even after themselves. Yet, even under sound teaching, many Christians can fall prey to being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. As there is no shortage of churchgoers who fall for all types of heresy wrapped under the banner of a cool website or podcast. You know how many Christians fall for some of the garbage that is spewed on, for instance, the number one podcast in the world, uh, the Joe Rogan Show? And there are Christians who are getting spiritual advice from a martial artist. You know, there's also something to be said, even within our own group, within our own community, within our own camp, that uh, there are Christians, churchgoers, members, who esteem internet celebrity preachers more than their own preachers, more than their own pastors. And we put these celebrity internet preachers on a pedestal, and, and there are great preachers out there. And I've, I'm, I've got some favorites out there, too, who I really uh, love and I really admire and look up to. But friends, may it not be so that we do so uh, to the exception of those who are taking the lead amongst us, loving you, feeding you, directing you by means of the Holy Spirit, that we're here to feed you and watch over your soul so that you can grow out of any spiritual immaturity, so you're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, so you're not carried away by false doctrine and by human cunning and deceit. For there are those out there in the world who, whose aim is to deceive you of the truth that you have received in Christ Jesus. And it's our job as pastors, shepherds, elders, to be a bulwark against such false teaching and doctrines. Don't buy into everything that you read or see on the internet. Don't believe it all. Because there's no shortage of theological fads that come in and out of the church. In one decade, something new always comes up. And really, it's not anything new. It's usually an old heresy wrapped up in a new way. And we want to tell you now to stay the course on the historic and biblical faith which we proclaim to you. Verse 15 of Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul, after giving us that warning to be uh, not, uh, no longer be children, not to be tossed to and fro by everyone of doctrine, he goes on to say in verse 15 these incredible words, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Evidence of spiritual maturity is being able to speak the truth of God's word in love. If you're following along in the teaching, write this in there. Spiritual maturity means that we speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Notice what that entails. First, that entails that you must know the truth. Know the truth that sets men free. And not only know it, but that you live it in such a way that you're able to proclaim it in love. Because there's no shortage of Christians 
And I think we suffer from this a little bit in our camp being reformed, where uh, uh, a lot of young men or, or young individuals who come to the doctrines of grace, they become so uh, excited, and they say, this is the way, you know, I'm going to tell people about reformed theology, God's sovereignty, all these incredible things, and then we just kind of hit people over the head of the Bible. I mean, have you ever met an obnoxious Calvinist? It's, it's something, all right. <laughs> And it's not an easy thing to contend with. And sometimes we can become so um, zealous that we forget to speak the truth in love. Some of us have no problem speaking truth, but the question is, can you speak it in love? That's the call of maturity that Christ is calling us to. It's not only to know the truth, but to speak it in such a way that you win over even your own enemies. That you win over people. By your love. Because the truth of the matter is this. The world is not interested in how much you know. They're interested in how much you care. Churchgoers, church members, often are not interested in how much you know, but how much you care. When someone is missing from church, do you call them? Do you see if they're doing well? If someone is sick, do you volunteer to bring meals? It, it, it can, can you not only speak truth, but can you walk in love? And that's a challenge for us all, to remember to walk in love. Because, again, some may know the truth, but they wield it like a child wielding a dangerous sword. And they often end up hurting people and themselves. And so the source, however, of truth is in Christ. Jesus said this about himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is an exclusive claim. This is a truth that can be hard to swallow. Because as we talk to people in the world, people often believe and want to believe that, well, all religions essentially lead to God. All religions are intrinsically good, and, and they all essentially teach the same thing. That's what the world says. That's what, that's what the world wants. But the truth is different. The truth is this, that Jesus Christ is himself the embodiment of truth. He is truth incarnate, and he is exclusive in that he says it is only by him that a man or woman can be saved. But it doesn't end there. This is exclusive, but it is also inclusive in that it is for everyone, people of all ages, people of all nations. And whoever would call the name of the Lord shall be saved. That whoever God calls, who he elects from the nations, he will certainly draw on to himself and save them with an everlasting salvation. It is inclusive and in that it's for all nations, for all age groups, for both genders. But it's also exclusive. That is only through Jesus Christ. He is the door. You see, when Noah was a preacher of righteousness, he preached judgment and repentance to the nations. And the door of the ark was wide open, yet only eight were saved in the flood. The doors of the ark were open. Friends, the door of Jesus Christ is open today. And while it is still called today, May you not harden your hearts as in the days of rebellion, but that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus even today while that door is still open. For tomorrow is not promised to you. 
Many people die young. Many people die unexpectedly. The day of judgment is around the corner. As the nations become, and, uh, become more and more dark, so we shall let the light shine ever so more until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved, do not be ashamed of the gospel. And that's the last word I want you to put in that second part. Spiritual maturity means we speak the truth in love, not being ashamed of the gospel. And why ought we not to be ashamed of the gospel? Yes, it's exclusive in Christ. Christ is the door. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But it is also inclusive for all who would hear the word of God. Therefore, we know that the gospel has power, power even to save. That in Christ, we have this good news, this good news that brings us to everlasting life. Is that not good? Is this not wonderful? Therefore, we should not be ashamed. You see, know this, that when you know Jesus, you have come to know the truth that sets men free. And truth is not devoid of love, but genuine love requires truth. Does it not? Think of your own relationships. Think of your own dealings with one another and your marriage and your friendships and your family. Love requires truth. And truth requires love. They go hand in hand, which is why, again, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Truth is not devoid of love. Genuine love, again, requires truth. It has been said uh, often that truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. This message is a truth in love message. Because uh, some of the things I'm telling you, some of the truth that I'm conveying to you, can be hard to hear or swallow. But I say it to you because I love you. And because it's the truth. Not something that I came up with 10 seconds ago, but the truth of God's word that is generational, that is unfading, unchanging, the world that is constantly changing, in a world in which... Uh, things come in and out of style on a regular basis where if you buy a piece of technology within 10 days, that is obsolete. And yet, the truth of God's word is not obsolete. The truth of God's word endures forever. And he who does the will of God shall indeed also endure forever. Truth and true love bears responsibility. It's one of the few things that our culture doesn't like. Culture doesn't like that word responsibility. Responsibility is part of walking in love. It's part of maturing and becoming, growing into the full stature of Christ. And so again, true love bears responsibility. And I have a responsibility to you and to Christ. And we all share in that responsibility to each other and to the Lord. God gave the church spiritual gifts for the mutual, beneficial, growing, and edifying of the body of Christ with love being the circulatory system of that body. When we as Christians talk about the body, we're referencing the church. The church is the body of Christ. And what makes that church function and grow is love. Love is what makes us grow. 
Same thing with a child. You look at a child. How can a child end up well and well-suited for life in society? It's if that child has grown up with love. And parents who have uh, invested in them, loved them, cared for them, sheltered them, taught them well. When a child is loved well, he is able to live well in the future. The same is true for all of us, beloved. If we love well, and if we grow in love, we'll be able to love others and love the Lord our God of our heart, soul, and mind. Therefore, fulfilling the greatest commandment that there is. And the second being, of course, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's about love. So therefore, we should not be ashamed. Verse 15, again, it says the following, the next part of that. It says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So our aim, if you're following along the teaching, I want you to write this in there. Our aim is to grow into Christ, who is the proper head of all things. Notice who we are growing into. We're not growing into a church, an organization, a political party. We're growing into Christ, who is the head of all things. It is in Christ that we find growth. It's in Christ that we find the purpose of our lives and the purpose of the future. We need to grow into Christ, who is, again, the source of both truth and love. In Jesus, we find both truth and love. Notice the way that Jesus lived. Notice the way that Jesus taught. He taught in such a way that he was able to speak truth, truth that divided between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. But he did so in a way in which people felt love. Notice the way when he deals with prostitutes and when he deals with tax collectors, the lowest of the low in society. He called them out for their sin, but he didn't say in a way like you see in the media, they like to um, propagate some of the most extreme and say, look at the Westboro Baptist Church who have these terrible signs about homosexuals or dead American soldiers. Uh, That's not our message. That's not Christ's message, but rather his message is repent, turn away from sin. But not only turn away from sin, but turn to me, the author of life, the one who gives eternal life, the one who is able to even cure the malignancy of your soul. This Jesus is the one we proclaim to you this morning. The one into whom we are to grow into, who is indeed the head of all things. And he is the head of all things, so it is into him that we are rooted, established, and growing into. We do not, again, grow into ourselves or an organization or a political cause, but rather we grow into the true sovereign of all things, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? It is in Jesus where the ordinary, the unremarkable, Grow into the extraordinary and into the remarkable. So the question that I have for you this morning is, who is your head? Because everyone has a head. 
Everyone has one whom they are bowing before, whom they are following. Either it's the culture, it's the ways of this world, it's the power and the principalities, the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible says this about this current wicked age, that the whole world is lying in the hand of the wicked one. Either he is your head, Adam is your head, or it is Christ. Christ. Headship means who has authority over you. Either it is the world, the powers of darkness, Adam, who is our first father, or our head is the true and proper sovereign of all things, the one who lived the life that you and I could not live, holy, perfect, blameless, so much so that when John the Baptist saw him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world, and the one who died the death that you deserved. He paid the penalty for your sins. All the wretchedness, rebellion, transgression, iniquity, and sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit was nailed to that cross in his body. Died the death that you deserve next to two criminals. Was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose again, demonstrating that he is the head of all things. The Bible calls him the second Adam. And in the second Adam, all shall be made alive. Brothers and sisters, this calls for you and for me. If you have not come to know this true, proper sovereign and head of all things, even Jesus Christ, may you come to know him even today while it is still called today. In verse 16 of Ephesians 4, God's word says the following, From whom the whole body, the whole body being a reference to the church, the body of Christ, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Praise God. I want you to write this in if you're following in today's teaching. In Christ, all things hold together. Notice what again it says in the beginning of verse 16. From whom, from whom, being Christ's subject, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, it, with which it is equipped. In Christ, all things hold together by the equipping that he provides. You see, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, we see this magnificent picture of Christ, who the Apostle Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that in him all things were created, visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. And all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist and hold together. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something this morning. If you're being held together today, it's because you're being held together by Christ. If you feel like your life is falling apart if you feel like you're falling apart in your relationships, in your finances, in your future, if you don't know where you're going or where you're going next, know that Christ is holding you even still in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your uh, unbelief, in the midst of all things that you are experiencing. Jesus is the one who is sovereignly holding you together. And because of this, he's also not only holding you together, he is equipping you with what you need to be part of that body that is growing in holiness and righteousness to become more like Jesus. 
He holds you. He holds you well. In this passage, we see the centrality and the supremacy of Christ. And this is indeed the key to a life of sanctification, which is a a life in which God is making you holy. He's changing you inside and out so that you can live out this faith, this, this profession that we call. But he's also the centerpiece of all things. And not only is he the center, but he's the one who's supreme over it all, therefore again demonstrating his headship over all things, including you and I this morning. But he's given us again the key to a life of sanctification and equipping for a life of walking with Jesus. You see, know this, that if Christ Jesus holds all things together, which the word of God says that he does, he holds all things together in the universe, and he's holding you. That should bring you great comfort and joy. That the reasons why all things are going according to their proper order in the cosmos. If you like anything about uh, science and the cosmos and the study of the universe, you know, the universe is in constant motion. This galaxy that we are in, the solar system that we are in, is in constant motion. It's It's like a choreographed dance that the universe is part of right now. And you and I are in that beautiful choreography that God has put into motion. And he holds all things together. The reason why the sun and the moon are are fixed and they're not flying away from each other. Yeah, there's a thing called gravity, but there's one who made gravity and his name is Jesus. Do you know him this morning? It's Jesus. He holds all things together in the cosmos and he holds you. And if he can hold the sun in its place in its orbit, he can hold you in place and he's got for us and he is for us a sure and strong foundation let that truth anchor you let that truth strengthen you let that truth embolden you let that truth sustain you and let that truth empower you to march forward as a christian soldier in this dark and evil day paul closes off this thought in verse 16 i'll read that again for whom or from whom the whole body, again, that's Christ towards the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Last part of the teaching this morning, when we walk properly, I want you to write that in there. When we walk properly, we contribute to the body growing in love. So my admonition to you this morning, based off the message of speaking the truth in love, is this. Watch how you walk. Watch how you walk. And it's difficult. Because the truth is, even as Christians, we still face of something called the old man, the old self, the sinful desires of the flesh. And there are times in which the old man rears his ugly head, And we fall into the prey of sin, but there's hope. For the Bible says that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous one. To walk properly means that we are putting to practice the things that we hear and see. That we are growing, not being perfect in this side of eternity, but that we are growing towards perfection. Not that we've attained perfection. 
Part of the Christian life is that we examine our walk, examine the way that we live under the authority of King Jesus, under the authority of God's Word, so that we do not deceive ourselves, but that we live authentically the things that we hold dear from God's Word. And the key to all of this is love. It's love. And I've shared that a lot with you guys. That love is so important to what we do. Love is why we're here by the grace of God. The reason why you got out of bed this morning to come worship with the saints is because you love God and you love this people. And on a Sunday morning and on most days, there's nowhere I'd rather be than amongst the people of God who love God and love the brotherhood. There's a peace, there's a power in that love, in that unity. And we are building towards unity as we love each other and as we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Therefore, invest in your most holy and precious faith, beloved, by reading God's word daily, by spending and developing a lifestyle of prayer, and and not forsaking the gathering of the body of Christ. In doing so, we grow into that full measure of stature and maturity that Christ our King has called us to. And we can, along with all the saints around the world, grow into the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. He's equipped you to do just this. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Beloved, you are loved. I shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again. It makes, it's a, it, it, hopefully it'll bring you comfort and joy. You know, as a kid, maybe you were, used to grab a flower and grab the flower petal and say, play this game, he loves me, he loves me not. You know, or if you're, you're you know, boy, she loves me, she loves me not. And at one point in time in my life, I felt like that was my relationship with God. When I grew up as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, everything was works-oriented. I had to earn my salvation. I had to work for uh, God's love. And so when I was doing everything okay, I could say, He loves me. But when I sinned, and when I felt far from God, well, He loves me not. And I must now earn that love again. But can I tell you that in Christ, the answer is always the same. He loves me, He loves me, He loves me, He loves me. He loves you. And because of that truth... May you now grow into him who is the head of all things, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Join me as I pray. Blessed Savior, we thank you for the gift that is your love. We thank you that in you we are called the beloved, that in you we are loved, and you have demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, separated from God, enemies of the truth, You died for us. I cannot fathom, I cannot measure that incredible love. Thank you so much, our King and our Redeemer, for loving us, even while we were at our worst. And that that love transforms us to be the best, the best that we can be in Christ. Lord God, help us to grow in maturity not to be found as prey to those who would be uh, peddling false doctrine or human deceit and human cunning, 
that we may not be like those who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but instead, Lord, that we would grow into you in love, speaking the truth in love, and that we may be empowered to do your will, which is pleasing in your sight. To the only God be power, honor, and all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.